recording this on May 24th, the morning of May 24th. Last night, May 23rd, an Iranian tanker, the Fortune or the Fortuna, uh, arrived at a port in Venezuela carrying gasoline, which the U.S. opposed. The U.S. was threatening that tanker and basically saying that because Venezuela is under sanctions and Iran is under sanctions by the U.S., that they're not allowed to trade with each other, which if you really think about that, it is quite an amazing thing that the U.S. is saying. And I, I hope more people do in really think about what the U.S. is saying there, because it's one thing to say, I don't like the regime in Venezuela, and so I'm refusing to trade with Venezuela. That's bad enough. But ultimately, if you want to boycott a country, I suppose you can argue that you have the choice to do that. Although um, there are certain strategic questions that I don't think the U.S. would agree with. For example, if a country that produced some element or valuable commodity that the U.S. wanted, like oil or coltan or coffee, or if some country were to say, we're boycotting the U.S. and the U.S. can't get that anywhere, I, I am sure that some argument about the strategic importance of that commodity would come up and that the U.S. would say, well, we can't, uh, we can't allow you to boycott us because we need uh, that thing that you have. I mean, Canadian water, there are agreements that Canada has to supply the U.S. with water, um, even if Canada doesn't have it. Let's say that there is a right to uh, boycott by the U.S. and the, right, the U.S. can say, I don't want to trade with Iran and I don't want to trade with Venezuela. It's another step to say, I don't want anybody else, or I won't trade with anybody else who trades with Venezuela. Meaning, if you want to trade with Venezuela or Iran, then I'm not going to trade with you. And that would be enough to buy the compliance of the Canada's, the European Union's, and all the other subordinate countries of the world to have to choose between trading with a relatively small and weak economy that can't really punish you compared to the US, which is this huge market and uh, has financial control, has levers of control over the whole global financial system. So sure, you can say at that second level, you could say, well, I won't trade with anybody who trades with Venezuela or Iran. It's a whole other thing to say, I won't allow people that I boycott to trade with each other. And that is really an incredible level of arrogance. It's an incredible level of hatred. It's an incredible level of contempt for the whole world. It astounds me every time I think about it. The stories that you'll read in the BBC or Al Jazeera or whatever about this, they will frame it as a provocation. So they'll say, the BBC headline was, Iranian tanker arrives amid U.S. tension. Another one the other day was, Iranian tanker is heading towards Venezuela despite U.S. threats. So the assumption always is that the U.S. owns the world. The U.S. gets to say who trades with each other. And I was looking at the BBC story a little bit, and it still uses this Venezuela's in a crisis, an economic crisis, millions have left kind of framing. And it's an interesting frame because... Millions of people are leaving many countries in Latin America. If they weren't, there would be no politics of a border wall in Mexico 
right? There would be no politics of Trump saying that we need to build a wall to keep these millions of people out, these millions of Central Americans, Mexicans, and people from further south. Colombia has millions and millions of people that are internally displaced by this uh, armed conflict, which is supposedly over. But in every single Western story about Venezuela, even when the framing should be around things like coronavirus or the oil company, they have to add what it, what's called this boilerplate about how millions have left and there's a crisis there. Again, even though the economic crisis in many Latin American countries right now is much worse than Venezuela, and that's despite the sanctions. The other question I wanted to address in this short recording is why is Venezuela, which is one of the greatest oil producers in the world, why does Venezuela even need gas from Iran? Because Venezuela has oil and mostly heavy crude and refineries exist in Venezuela. They were built with US technology in previous decades. The problem is that they have been sanctioned. So when you run a refinery, there's a process uh, which you can look up called catalytic cracking. And to do this process, you need certain chemicals, uh, certain chemicals that can thin the gas. So most of what Venezuela produces is heavy crude, although they do produce some light, as light sweet crude, as they as it's called as well. Um, it's the light crude that they're trying to at least be able to refine. Heavy crude is harder to refine. But it's not just sanctions that have harmed the uh, Venezuelan refining industry. It's also outright sabotage by uh, U.S.-sponsored saboteurs. So there are always fires. There's always power outages. There's all kinds of attacks on the Venezuelan infrastructure that are happening all the time. So in addition to trying to survive and get their industry working despite sanctions, the Venezuelans are also having to deal with constant sabotage. I was just looking it up. There was a fire, a so-called fire, which Passive Voice struck Venezuelan oil facility at Morichal in on May 5th, just on May 5th. So let's just look a little bit at what the sanctions are doing. Back in February, the U.S., added a whole list of sanctions against companies trading with Venezuela. One of the consequences of that was that the Russian company Rosneft, which is 50% owned by the Russian government, 20% owned by British Petroleum or BP. So you can imagine that British Petroleum were pushing for Rosneft to comply with the sanctions. So in March, Rosneft did actually comply. They exited Venezuela. And what Rosneft was doing was because the Venezuelan refineries weren't working, they were doing what are called crude for gas swaps. They were buying crude from Venezuela and selling gas, and they were taking the crude back to refine it. So they got scared off in March. In April, Venezuela made some moves with Iranian help to try to repair one of their refineries at Cardon. So Iran provided some of the materials uh, back in April, and there were announcements in the business press that they were trying to um, repair those that one of the facilities that processes light sweet crude oil into gasoline because the russians were scared off and while the refineries remain offline venezuelans uh, ha have strict gasoline rations 
which has made life difficult. So that leaves Iran. Pretty much any other country that doesn't have this level of sanctions on it can always be threatened with something. But with Iran, there's no commercial or financial sanctions against Iran that have not already been done pretty much. So what's the US going to threaten them with short of military, although they have threatened them militarily, but Iran said that would be an act of piracy, completely illegal under international law, blockading Venezuela's ports is is an act of war. So that was the question was whether the US was willing to do that yet. So far, the answer has been no, but you never know. The US is completely unpredictable and completely committed to this, what I would call a genocidal strategy of sanctions against both Iran and Venezuela and to preventing them from trading with each other. One last point about this, what is likely to happen next. The US has said, we are closing all the doors, closing all the doors. Again, this is genocidal talk, closing all the doors. We're trying to deny fuel to every single Venezuelan. And this is a door that will also be closed, they said yesterday. Remember also that the US and has gotten the Bank of England to steal $1 billion worth of gold from Venezuela. Venezuela, like many countries, was holding their gold reserves in the Bank of England, and the Bank of England just uh, stole their stole their gold. The, Ven- the Bank of England has stolen a billion dollars of Venezuelan gold. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, denied Venezuela an emergency loan in March, which Venezuela asked for just to try to help deal with their um, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, the IMF refused. Again, these are all being directed by the U.S., right? The whole idea that we're going to close all the doors. The ultimate question is, will these bullied and sanctioned countries like Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, China be able to stabilize a coalition that's big enough to resist this attempt to isolate them, not just individually, but also from one another? And uh, that's what we're seeing playing out and against this kind of genocidal campaign to deny them everything from fuel to medicine to food. Yemen, I mean, Yemen and Gaza should not be excluded from this, although there is formal military blockade of both Yemen and Gaza. But the point still holds. If the empire wants to isolate all of these countries from each other and they can break that isolation, then again, like, Anybody with a conscience, I think, can only wish them well and uh, do what we can to support that and to end the sanctions regime.